Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here tonight. Glad to have those of you joining with us on, uh, uh, and uh, uh, no, I thought I'd do that for Matt <laughs> so he could watch that tonight. <laughs> and he's not even here. So. Uh, but glad to have you joining there with us on Facebook and on Twitter at HBC Tullahoma, on YouTube at Highland Baptist Tullahoma, and then our phone live streaming. You can call the church office. We'll be glad to give you that number so that you can be able to live stream with us there. So welcome to everybody that's there. Be sure to give us thumbs up, give us hearts, give us likes, share those posts that are live there. That just helps to get the word out even more on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe, hit the notification bell. That way you'll get those updates every time a new video comes out. Uh, the phone live streaming, it automatically calls you, so I encourage you to do that. And we don't have it on the screen there yet. We will eventually get it up there. We do have it on uh, Apple Podcast. Uh, so if you go onto Apple Podcast, if you have an Apple device, uh, you don't even have to have an Apple device, I don't believe, but you can uh, search it on Apple Podcast, Highland Baptist Church, Tullahoma, and you'll be able to find us uh, there and listen to us there. It's just an audio version of the service. Uh, encourage you to go to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com under the info tab. It's there that you can download the worship bulletin, so be sure to get that downloaded. A lot of upcoming events and activities that we've got coming uh, soon. Uh, we've got our children's worship bulletins that go along with each Sunday morning's message. Those are there that you can download uh, also. And then we've got our prayer list uh, each week that's uploaded there, so be sure to get that downloaded. If you need any of those things in person, the prayer list is on the table back here. Uh, the bulletins are in the windows as well as the children's worship bulletins are too. And then don't forget while you're there on our church website, go to the far right hand side, click the give online tab and you can do your online giving there. You can give your regular offering. Uh, you can also designate to the golden offering for Tennessee missions. If you need to do that in person, the pink envelopes that you see around are for golden offering. If you do use a white one, be sure to mark on it uh, what that will specifically be. And then I failed to mention this this morning. Uh, we have time slots uh, that are available for us now that we got for Operation Christmas Child. Uh, this is the first year we've been able to get those on a Saturday. Uh, so the Saturday after Thanksgiving, uh, we have a, a, a slot there for eight uh, that can go, as well as on the 10th, I believe it is, which is the second Saturday of December. Uh, we have two slots on that one. Uh, and so the sign-up sheets are down the hall on the missions board if you want to get signed up for that. Uh, and it's, Some weren't able to go in the past because it was during the weekday, uh, but we will be having it uh, with that. So I think that's all I had. Rick, if you'll come and share a real quick thing with us uh, about an upcoming special meeting. Um, real quick, I just need to uh, announce a special called business meeting that will be coming on October 30th in the evening before the fifth Sunday sing. Um, we'll have uh, two items that we'll be voting on for that. Um, one is to approve the volunteer ministry teams. Um, that recently got finished. Um, that list got completed, so we'll need to approve that. And then the other one is to um, approve a slight increase to the parsonage. Uh, last business meeting we talked about um, spending an amount to upgrade or re renovate that bathroom and the uh, estimate came back a little bit more, approximately 10%, so we'll need to approve that increase in that cost during that special called business meeting. Rick, you could have stayed up here and led the music. <laughs> Turn your hymnals with us and let's sing 571, Let Others See Jesus in You. Miss Pat?
passing through this world of sin and others your life shall view be clean and pure without within let others see Jesus in you let others see Jesus in you let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story, be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Your life's a book before their eyes, their Say, does it point them to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. in you what joy it will be at set of sun in mansions beyond the blue to find some souls that you have won let others see Jesus in you let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story, be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Then live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful, be brave and true. And lead the lost to life and light. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story, be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Well, if you'll take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, we're going to continue right where we, uh, about where we left off this morning, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through verse 37. And so I've entitled this message tonight, 
uh, the life of love. And you may have to jump ahead to a verse or two here uh, that we'll look at uh, to begin with. So we're just going to begin uh, with verse 25 through 28. So 25 through 28. Let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly do this and you will live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word tonight and thank you for just your presence here tonight. Lord, we pray that as we study your word, may you use it to strengthen our faith in you. May you help us, Lord, in using it as a lamp unto our feet, a light into our path to guide us in decisions that we make each day so that we don't stray to the right or to the left in the things that we choose to do. Father, we want to bring you glory and honor uh, through the words we say, through uh, the things we think about, and making sure that we are examining our, our hearts uh, through this passage tonight. And we just pray, God, that your will will be done, that you will bless us in a powerful way. Make your word come alive. May it be sharper than any two-edged sword. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. If you've ever watched the President of the United States, and it doesn't matter which one, uh, when they deliver the State of the Union uh, address, if you've seen it in the last decades, uh, you know that at some point in their speech, they're going to point where? To the balcony. Somebody's sitting up in the balcony. Sometimes it's one or two or three or four different people uh, that are sitting up there. And they usually will introduce some ordinary citizen as a real hero in, in this country. Uh, you may not know it, but that custom began... Uh, when President Ronald Reagan uh, introduced a man named Lenny Skutnik. Uh, to this day, reporters will ask presidential aides the question, who are the Skutniks this year? Lenny Skutnik was a federal worker walking down the street, just minding his own business, uh, until the day that Air Florida Flight 90 crashed into the Potomac River in 1982. That flight had just taken off from Washington bound to Florida and it had developed ice on its wings and it brought that plane down as it tried to clear Washington's 14th Street Bridge. In the next moments, several passengers were thrown into that icy river. Uh, a helicopter soon came and was dropping down ropes, but it could only save one person at a time. Uh, there was a lady who was in the water and she was struggling to grab uh, the ladder, the rope ladder, and so she was so cold she, uh, and so frozen she couldn't lift her arms out of the water. And it looked like she was going to drown. Everybody else on that bridge was shouting encouragement to her, telling her, hang on, do those types of things. Well, Lenny Skutnik, he broke through the police barricades, jumped into the river, risking his own life, and pulled that lady to shore, who otherwise would have surely drowned. And the President of the United States at that State of the Union address that year called him a hero and had him there present for that. You know what Jesus would have called him? Jesus would have called him a good neighbor. Uh, of all the stories that Jesus told, uh, along with the prodigal son, this is perhaps 
the most famous uh, story uh, that he shares with us, the story of the Good Samaritan. This is a story that's directly related to Lenny Scutton, the Lenny Scutniks of this world because the story begins with a lawyer asking a good question but with a bad motive. So let's get the setting first and, and get the background for what's fixing to happen here, what this conversation is coming out of. And we see that here in verse 25 uh, down through verse 29. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 tells us, Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity or, or love. Now, Jesus was very good not only to teach the truth, but he would many times illustrate that truth. So sometimes Jesus would use uh, illustrations uh, from the world of nature. He would look at some birds and he would see some birds maybe flying by or, or, or perched on a branch or maybe singing. He would point to the birds and he says, you see those birds or you see those birds flying? And he would talk about the fact that they were cared for by their heavenly father and then relate that to how if he cares for those birds, God cares for you. Uh, and, 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 and he takes care of us. Well, then he would maybe pick up a seed. And he would say, can you see that seed? And that's a tiny seed, isn't it? You can't even see it from where you're sitting. I don't even have one in my hand, but faked you out. <laughs> but a mustard seed's like that. You can't even hardly see the thing. I have some that John Tank gave me uh, that are on an index card. Uh, and it has three of them. I shared it with our Awana group the last time we met and our CDC group, and from where they were sitting, and I was down on the floor, they couldn't even hardly see those little specks uh, of mustard seeds that were picked uh, there in Israel. But, but that's what he would do. He would pick up a little seed maybe, and he would say, see this seed? He would maybe say, say a farmer takes a seed, and he goes out and he sows it in the ground, and in a little while it brings forth a crop. And that's exactly the way the Bible is. The Bible's like a seed. You drop it in the human heart, and it brings forth a crop. Well, Jesus, he would tell a story called a parable. Uh, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's a simple way to remember what a parable is. It, meant, it literally means to lay alongside of. So you take an earthly example, an illustration from, from nature itself like Jesus would use, and you lay alongside of it the spiritual truth uh, that, you, that Jesus wanted to teach. And so he would take what people knew, he would paint a picture of it in order to illustrate and explain to them some truth in the spiritual realm. Well, there was this lawyer, uh, verse 25 tells us, who came up to Jesus. Look at verse 25 again with me, if you will. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that, when we talk about a lawyer here, it's not like a lawyer like what we think of uh, today. In this particular sense, it, it was a person who knew the law of God's word. It was a person who knew uh, the Bible, basically, the Old Testament law. Uh, it was an ex this person would be an expert in it and, and could take the truth of the Bible and apply it to life. A lawyer in that sense was an expert in the Old Testament law. Well, this expert in the Bible came to Jesus and asked him a question. Now, the question is given to us there in verse 25. And he said to the Lord, and he was trying to put him to the test, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
I mean, think about that. Could there be a greater question than that question? How do I get to heaven? How can I go to heaven when I die? And I have a feeling that there's not a person even who's watching or who's here today uh, who's not interested in that question. The older you get, the more interested you become in that question. The Bible says that when you die, you're going to be somewhere in eternity for forever. You're either going to be in heaven forever or you're going to be in hell forever. So it's a very important question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus did what he often did in these circumstances. He takes a question and responds with a question. Uh, isn't that so awesome, the, the way Jesus is there? I mean, we expect him, give me an answer. But Jesus asked another question. We don't want a question, we want an answer. We're kind of like the lawyer here, but Jesus responds with a question. So Jesus looked at this expert in the law, and he just put him back to his job. And, and so he, he puts him back in the field where he's an expert in the law. Notice what verse 26 says. So he's a, a lawyer in the law of God's word. He says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're an expert in the Old Testament law of God's word, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so Jesus, we see there, asks that question. He responds with a question. Now, there's a reason that Jesus didn't give this man a direct answer to his question. The real reason is, is because this man wasn't really seeking information. We read there just a moment ago, what he's trying to do is to test Jesus. He's trying to trap Jesus with this question. He's not honestly looking for an answer. If he had honestly been looking for an answer, Jesus would have responded eventually here with the answer. But he asks him this question because this man's just trying to trap him. You'll find in the Bible that when anyone came to Jesus with an honest question, he always gives them an honest answer. But when they came to him with a dishonest question, he would always turn the tables by asking them a question. Uh, because you see, you don't test Jesus, he tests you. And so the lawyer replies to Jesus' question with a perfect answer. That's what we would expect. He's an expert in the law. So notice verse 27. Verse 27 says, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He gets 100 on the test today. This man immediately knows the answer to the question of Jesus. And now, you have to realize that they didn't have this in their hands that they could flip through every day like we do today. So it would be easier for us to answer that question knowing the whole counsel of God's word where this man was an expert. He had to study the scrolls day after day, learning more and more about God's law. And so this, immediate, this man, he immediately knows the answer. So that was a good thing. And he quotes two Old Testament scriptures. He quotes Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 and he quotes Leviticus 19, 18. And he, he says here that what the law says is, first of all, love God with everything you have. And then number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's exactly what the law said to do. The whole Old Testament law could be summarized in those two great commands. Love God, love your neighbor. So he was exactly right. Then Jesus says this to him in verse 28. He said to him, you've answered correctly. Now when you stop right there, 
you could just imagine this lawyer thinking, hmm, I did it. I got the answer right. You can see this little smirk almost begin to come up on his face. And he says, he hears Jesus say, you've answered correctly. And then Jesus says, do this and you will live. That was a problem right there. The problem that man, ha that man had and the problem that we have, that's always the requirement of the law. That's why you cannot be saved by keeping the law. The law says, do this and live. But that's the problem. We can't do it. Not perfectly, not every single time. We can't live that way. We sin. And so we can't love the Lord the way we ought to love him. We can't love our neighbor the way we want to love our neighbor in and of ourselves. Grace, on the other hand, says, live and then do. What the law demands of us, the Lord Jesus produces in us. So what happened to this man is what happens to us sometimes. Sometimes a verse or a passage of scripture just absolutely shakes us. And you may have read it a thousand times before. It might be familiar to you. You might have even memorized the scripture. But there comes that time when you read that scripture and it just leaps off the page. And you're like, a light bulb comes on. And there comes that time when it applies itself to your heart in an unusual power. And I think that's really what happened to this man when Jesus said to him, do this and you will live. Now, at first, I'm sure, as we said, there's that smug, satisfied smile on his face, knowing he had given the right answer. But that smile doesn't last too long uh, because the lawyer soon realizes, wait a second, I've dug my own pit and I've fallen into it. I was trying to trap Jesus and I got trapped. Because even though Jesus affirms the answer, he follows up with another question in verse 29. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. That meant he wanted to clear himself of the charges. And so under, he's under conviction now. What he should have done was broken down and confessed. He should have done what every one of us ought to do when we face the demands of the law, when we see what the Bible requires of us, is that we ought to confess the fact, I'm not able to do it. We're not able to live the way the Bible says and commands us to live and call out to God for mercy and grace and, and invite Jesus into our hearts and our lives. That's what we need to do. And so this man, he's looking, if you will, for a loophole. He's looking for some way out. He's, he's trying to wiggle, if you will, his way out of the situation. And so you see, like any good lawyer, he's looking for this loophole, trying to separate the people into, separate people into two groups, who are neighbors and who are non-neighbors. And he gave Jesus a golden opportunity here to tell one of the greatest stories we've ever read, to teach one of his greatest lessons, and to shock the world at the same time. So go on to verse 30. He begins and says, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, I was just looking at some uh, uh, hikes. I, there's no way I would do it, but there's a, a place, I believe it's out in uh, Zion National Park. Uh, it's out in California, 
uh, where it's at. May not be Zion. It may be a different one. Uh, but there's a there's a ball that you can actually you actually have to hold on to these this cable that they've attached into the rock, and it's almost like a 40 degree angle that you're going up the side of this rock. And, and when I when I was reading through the story, and they were talking about those who go up, and it's very dangerous. People have been killed before, on, especially if the rocks get wet. Uh, it's extremely slippery. Uh, and so going up it, people can go up it, but when you come back down, if you've ever gone up in the mountains and, and you've hiked a trail in the mountains, you're going up a steep incline, that can be okay. You can lean in towards the mountain. But when you're coming down, sometimes we tend to want to go forwards as we're going down the mountain. One of the safer ways is to go backwards so you can keep yourself leaned in towards the mountain. But as you're doing that, your legs begin to get tired. They begin to get weak. Well, you see, here's this man. He's going from Jerusalem, which is up in elevation, and going down to Jericho, which is down close to the Dead Sea. And so uh, the, the Jericho Road is a 17-mile journey. It's also a drop of about 3,300 feet. It was a very narrow, dangerous, winding road that was bordered by steep cliffs on one side and barren hills on the other side. And so even to this day, uh, if it's rained quite a bit, the road is impassable. And so as a matter of fact, the road was so dangerous that in those days, it became known as, the road became known as the way of blood. But it was dangerous for another reason, because the Bible scholars estimate there were at least 12,000 thieves in those Judean hills in that wilderness surrounding Jerusalem as you made that journey uh, in in this wilderness area uh, back down to Jericho and then to the Dead Sea where you could go along the Dead Sea back north to go towards the Sea of Galilee. Well, these gangs, these thugs, they they would roam the countryside uh, and they would attack innocent victims. They would beat them. They would rob them. And so here's this man who's been victimized by these thieves and not only robbed, but he's been beaten and left for dead. And so Jesus introduces in his story three characters here, the thieves, the priest and the Levite, and the good Samaritan, and if we include the man who was beaten, we include him also. And so these people tell us what kind of a neighbor we really are to other people and what kind of attitude dictates how we see others and how we treat others. And so the first attitude and and characteristic that I want you to see uh, from these individuals who pass by this man who's been beaten and and left for dead is the issue of lust, the attitude of lust. Uh, In other words, what is yours is mine, I'll take it. This is the, the image of the thieves here in verse 30. So this man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So... Understand this, the world we're living in is a dangerous world. There is danger and there is trouble everywhere uh, around us. Danger rides alongside us as we're driving down the roads. You don't know what the other person's going to do. They could cut you off. They could run into you, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) You could have an accident. Uh, You you just don't know what the other person, you may be the safest driver in the world, but what about the other person? There's danger all around us as we're going down the highways. If you're in the parking lot, 
There's danger in the parking lot. People could back out into you. Maybe you got out of your vehicle and you're walking to go into the store and people don't see you and they're backing out and, and before you know it, there's danger there even at the shopping center. Job was right when he said in Job 14 and verse 1, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Here's a man who's probably a Jewish businessman. We don't even know what his name was. He goes on this short journey, only about 17 miles, and he almost loses his life. He probably more than likely had been up at Jerusalem because most people when they went to Jerusalem they went there to worship. He is coming back in essence from church and now here's danger that he faces and he goes on this short journey. He's going down the Jericho Road and the Bible says he falls among thieves. They strip him uh, of his clothes. They wound him. They beat him repeatedly. Uh, they, they departed leaving him half dead. That's some picture that Jesus is painting in this story. That illustrates the attitude that some people have towards other people in this world. They only think of themselves. Now there's an attitude that I think most people in this world have today which could be characterized as, as lust. Simply put it, uh, is that what's yours is mine and I'm gonna take it. And that's the way these thieves were. Uh, there are far more thieves in this world than you might realize. The robber who takes the money that doesn't belong to him is a thief. Think about this. There are thieves all around us, whether, whether it's corporate executives or, or, or CEOs or, or whether it's uh, someone else, uh, maybe sometimes even a friend uh, who takes advantage of a situation. Uh, but you can be a thief in more ways than one. You may not be a thief here today, you may be a thief here today and not even realize it. Let me give you a definition of a thief that you may have never heard before. God has given us both things and people. God has given us things to use and God has given us people to love. But when you begin to love things and you begin to use people, you become a thief. If you're by nature either a taker, that is you take things that don't belong to you, or you're, you're going, as you're going to see in a moment, you're a keeper. You don't share things that do belong to you. In other words, you're either a taker or a keeper, but you're not a giver, then you're a thief. If your attitude is, what's in it for me, you're probably a thief. If, if your attitude is, I want my needs met, I don't care about others, you're probably a thief. The reason we say that is because God has blessed you with those blessings for what? Not for you, but for you to be a blessing to others, and you're robbing others of the blessing God has blessed you with. And, and so if your attitude is, is just make sure I get mine, I don't care about anybody else, you're probably a thief. It's kind of like the little boy who one day opened the refrigerator. He found the last piece of, a, of his mother's best chocolate cake, and the only problem was is it had his little brother's name on it. Well, he took it out, he took off his brother's name, he began eating that piece of cake just as fast as he could. And just as he was taking that last tasty bite, and it disappeared into his mouth, in walked his mother into the kitchen. And she said, Derek, I can't believe you would eat that whole piece of cake without thinking one time about your little brother. He said, oh, I was thinking about him the whole time I was eating it. I kept worrying he'd come in before I finish it off. Well, if you happen to be a thief, either with your hands or with your heart, let me warn you of something. Thieves are never satisfied by what they steal. Because if they were, 
they wouldn't keep on stealing. If what they stole satisfied them, they would stop stealing. But they're never satisfied. They've always got to steal more. They've always got to have more. And so we're living in a society that has become dehumanized. And, and, and there's a generation of people who've been brought up to believe that human life is, is not worth a very great deal. So they look on other people not as people to be loved and helped, but rather as things to be used, things to be abused. They are out there everywhere. And if you'll notice here, this man... There was nothing he had done to deserve this. He didn't instigate a fight with nobody. Uh, he, didn't, he wasn't looking for uh, trouble. Uh, we find here he's not responsible for the treatment he receives. He hasn't done anything to provoke this kind of treatment. You know, there are some Christians who seem to take the attitude that every time a person is having a problem, it's because there's sin in their own life. But there are some people in this world who have not sinned, uh, but rather they've been sinned against. They've been abused. And that's the picture here of those who abuse other people. These thieves abused this man. The Bible says that's what Satan and that's what sin will do to you. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to what? Steal and to kill and to destroy. So in this story that Jesus tells, there are first of all, those who are controlled by lust. What's yours is mine. I'm, I'm gonna take it. There are also this, the second attitude I want you to see uh, of legalism. What's mine is mine and I'm gonna keep it. I'm not giving it to nobody else. And we see that in verse 31 and verse 32. So Jesus moves on to the second major players in this act. So notice what verse 31 says for us. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And so first we see the priest. He's on his way, uh, and he sees this man on the side of the road who's been beaten up. He's been left half dead uh, by the thieves. It says when the priest sees him, he moves over to the other side. Now in those days, a priest was a person who had either been up to the temple or was on their way to the temple. And so he would have on his royal robes and all of that, and he's, on his, he's either on his way back to Jericho or he's on his way up to Jerusalem. And you can almost imagine what he says, poor guy, I sure do thank the Lord that didn't happen to me. I really do uh, hope somebody comes along and, and helps this guy some. Uh, you know, I can't do it. I'm a priest. I'm not a paramedic. So the Bible says he moves over to the other side. He doesn't want to taint himself. If he's on his way up to Jerusalem and he taints himself, then he can't serve. And they only got to serve very, very infrequently uh, at the temple as a, Levi, as a priest there. And so now comes a Levite. So notice what we see here with this Levite. Uh, we find that here's this Levite who comes, and he does the same thing. He, he, come, he comes to the place. In verse 32, he sees him, and he passes by on the other side. Notice this. The two people that you would think would have stopped for sure to help this man out, that would have been the priest. It would have been the Levite. 
because they're the religious crowd. The priests represented the man in the pulpit, the, 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 the servant there, and the Levite represented uh, the person in the pew, if you will. As a matter of fact, since they are either just coming down from Jerusalem or going to Jerusalem, it's possible that they had just gotten out of church or they're on the way to go worship. But their problem was they didn't want to get involved. Quite frankly, that attitude isn't all that unusual even today. There's no compassion in, in, in these individuals whatsoever. There, there seems to be no love in their hearts whatsoever. You know, we ought to ask ourselves, what happens when I go to church? What, what happens when after I come home, I've sang wonderful songs in church, I've, I've heard the word of God, studied the word of God together with others, worship together, praise together. Does anything happen? Does anything change? about our attitude or our outlook towards other people. Jesus says, by what these two did, what they did not do, they were no better off than the thieves. You see, you can be a thief in one of two ways. A thief can take something that doesn't belong to him, or he can keep something that belongs to somebody else. The Bible says this in Proverbs 3 and verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do it. Never walk away from somebody who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. James chapter 4 verse 17 says this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So here's the problem. Uh, they could have done something. They could have told the authorities uh, that, that there's this man who's in need of help. They could have gone and got a doctor, but they didn't do anything. The problem with both the priest and the Levite is not in what they did. They weren't guilty of beating this man up. They didn't cause him to be laying there half dead. You see, they didn't rob him. The problem was not in what they did, but in what they didn't do. Let me tell you the quickest way you can shut a church down, the quickest way you can make sure that a church doesn't even exist. Just do nothing. One of the greatest problems in the church today is that so often we're full of priests and Levites, people who do nothing. A Gallup survey once discovered that only 10% of American church members are active in any kind of personal ministry. And 50% of all church members have no interest in serving in any ministry. In other words, 50% of the church is saying loudly and clearly, I just don't want to get involved. Now, there are people who don't, these are people who, who don't say, I, I do what I want to do. These are people who say, I'll only do what I have to do. I'm not going to stick my neck out for anybody. If you only do what you have to do in life, you're not being a good neighbor. Notice the next attitude and characteristic here, that of love. And this is where we need to be. That what is mine is yours, I'll give it. And we see this in verse 33 down through verse 37. There's another figure in this story, as we all know, who is the hero. And so let's read verse 33 down through verse 37. <clears throat> it says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, 
And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and he took care of it. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Let's just stop right there for a moment. So Jesus brings into this story the Samaritan. He not only pours it on, he rubs it in. When Jesus brings the Samaritan into the story, it would have been like you could have heard a gasp when they heard him say, a certain Samaritan or a Samaritan. You need to understand that, that today we talk about the good Samaritan. But 2,000 years ago, the Jews felt that the only good Samaritan was a dead Samaritan because they hated the Samaritans. There were several reasons. The Samaritans were Jews who, who, after Israel had been defeated by the Babylonians, they stayed behind and they intermarried with the Assyrians who were an abomination in the sight of God and the Jews. And, and they even built their own temple on Mount Gerizim and refused to worship in Jerusalem. So if you really wanted to insult a person 2,000 years ago, all you had to do was call them a Samaritan. That's why the Pharisees said to Jesus in John chapter 8 and verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They were calling him names. Every morning in his daily prayer, a Pharisee would go to the temple and out loud he would thank God he hadn't been born a woman, he hadn't been born a Gentile, he hadn't been born a Samaritan. Yet Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. Now, the reason he does that is to teach a lesson that the crowd that day, and maybe even the crowd today, uh, never thought Jesus would teach. And I'm convinced that not everybody understands the real meaning of this story. Uh, there was a little boy who returned home from Sunday school, and his mother asked him what the lesson uh, the teacher taught was. And he said it was about two preachers who saw a man in a ditch, but they didn't stop because he had already been robbed. Actually, Jesus told this story to illustrate to the lawyer and to everybody who was listening that you've asked the wrong question. The question is not, who is my neighbor? Because he's going to see in a moment, you don't need to ask that question. The question is, am I a good neighbor? That's the real question. Put yourself in this story. And ask yourself this question. Be honest. Who would you have been that day? Would you have been the thief? Would you have been the priest? Would you have been the Levite? Or would you honestly have been the Good Samaritan? Now we begin to understand the meaning of this story. Who is our neighbor? Well, everyone's your neighbor, not just the person next door. If a person has a need that you can meet uh, and, and you should meet, that person is a neighbor. Every time you see a person in need, uh, you immediately become a neighbor. You become a minister with a ministry. The last three words, uh, let's read on down uh, through, through the verses here. Uh, it, told us, it told us back in verse 33 
go back to verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, notice those last three words, he had compassion. That tells us what sets the Samaritan apart. He had compassion. Here's love in action. Love is a compassion that feels. You see, what made this Samaritan so special was not the color of his skin, but the compassion in his heart. There was no law that could make the priest. There was no law that could make the Levite stop. But love made the Samaritan stop. Love is also a care that helps. So notice what the Samaritan did for this man. He went to him. He bound up his wounds in verse 34. He poured the oil and, uh, and wine on him. So he's doctoring him up. He puts him on his own animal. He brings him to the inn. And he doesn't just drop him off and say, you guys take care of him. He, he takes care of him himself. And then the next day, he, he takes out two denarii. He gives them to the innkeeper. He says, take care of him. What more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And so he gets personally involved. He probably tore his own robe to make the bandages with. He takes the oil and the wine from his own supplies to use as medicine. And then he takes him to an inn. He pays for his upkeep. Now, now two denarii might not sound like a lot of money to us today, but it was two days' wages back then and would pay for about 24 days of full room and board. So love is a care that helps people, and love always cost you something it cost him something he spent some money on this guy a good neighbor's not concerned about the cost he's concerned about compassion notice also that love is a commitment that endures he said I'm gonna come back and I'm still committed to this situation when I come back if there's any more that's owed after you've taken care of him I'll take care of it so spiritually this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. We couldn't go where Jesus was, so Jesus came to where we were. We were helpless, we were beaten, we were bruised, we were half dead by sin. And Jesus came and paid for us a price that we could not pay for ourselves when he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus put us into his family. He made us a part of his family. He rescued us from our sins. And he says, one of these days, I'm coming back again. And I'm going to take you home to be with me. Now, think about what, as Jesus is telling this story, we've been in the story. Let's go back. Jesus is telling the story. So the crowd, they've already about to faint because of what Jesus had said. Then we see Jesus drives the knife all the way in. Look at verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which of these three? Jesus said, which one of these was a neighbor? Well, the answer's so obvious. The story was so plain. Nobody could miss it, but just to make sure the man says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now we see the difference in the attitude of people and what makes you a good neighbor. A good neighbor doesn't say, I do what I want to do. 
or even I do what I have to do, but I do what I ought to do. So let me ask you a question. Are you a good neighbor? Do you see yourself as a minister with a ministry? Do you have a ministry even in this church? Do you minister outside the church? Jesus was like a good neighbor, like the State Farm commercial used to say, because he was always there. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. <laughs> because in the story, notice who's the good Samaritan, really. Jesus. Jesus is really the good Samaritan in the story. Jesus gave this man another opportunity. Oh, you got the first answer right on the first question. Let me give you another one. Let me give you a second chance here. Because the man had dug a pit, put himself in a hole. Jesus said, you go and do likewise. He said, it's the one who showed mercy. You go and do likewise. So right there is where the gospel comes in. And the truth of the matter is, when we look into our own hearts, we find we are not capable of, of that kind of living. When Jesus says, go and do likewise, it's a call for us to admit I don't have in and of myself that kind of love in my heart. The only place that you're going to get that kind of love is the love of God that, has, that was revealed in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the one place people ought to see love is right here amongst us as the church. Not just in this building, but you are the church. Wherever you go, they ought to see that kind of love. In fact, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When you get the Lord into your heart, you'll get love in your heart. And when you get love in your heart, you'll be the kind of neighbor God wants you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a powerful look once again at a very familiar story for many of us of the Good Samaritan. But I pray, Lord, that even though this may be a familiar passage to us, I pray that it's been made fresh and new for us to maybe realize some practical applications for our life. To ask ourselves which of those three was the good neighbor. And then to ask ourselves, which am I? Father, I pray that if we examine in our hearts and we find out, Lord, that we, first of all, don't know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we realize I can't love like that because I don't even have the love of Jesus in my heart. Lord, I pray that we would call out to you and ask for forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, that we would confess our belief in what Christ has done for us, that he died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day. And may you come into our hearts and to our lives and save us and help us to live for you all the days of our life, to show and to demonstrate that kind of love. But Father, I pray that we will realize even as believers here tonight, in and of ourselves, we don't have that ability to love others the way we should. And so, Father, I pray that we would have realized tonight that the closer we come to you, the more we're filled with the Spirit of God and the presence of God and the power of God. Lord, the more we'll be filled with the love of God. And I pray that the love of God would just fill us up and begin to overflow out of us and that people all around us will see the love of Jesus Christ, whether it's when we go to school or, or whether it's in our neighborhood or, or maybe it's just back at home. 
that our family will see the love of Jesus in our life. They will see there's something different. And Father, I just pray that you will use us to be the neighbor to others that we need to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. Would you stand? of God's children help those who are weak forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek take time to be holy the world rushes on spend much time in secret with Jesus alone by Like him thou shalt be, thy friends in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining with us tonight, for being here in person, for those who are online. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again this Wednesday. We'll be back in the book of Revelation. Uh, so come online and join us. Come in person and join us. We'll be back again next Sunday. Uh, at 9.15 for Sunday school in person, so come and join us for that. You'll receive a wonderful blessing. We've got Sunday school classes uh, for all ages, uh, and then also come and join us for worship at 10.30. You have a blessed week. You stay safe, and keep us in your prayers. We'll keep you in our prayers.